From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, for reasons best known to me, most of this program today will be devoted to a rebroadcasting of an interview with one of uh, New Orleans' finest musicians from about 11 years ago, um, as well as a performance by said musician. Uh, worth listening to again, I think, for the music, for the stories, and for the view of how long New Orleans' recovery period from the 2005 flood went on. But first, some news you need to know. The uh, operator of the Fook nuclear power plant, Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, has found leaks in a hose used to transfer treated water. That uh, probe was begun after higher-than-usual levels of radioactive material were detected in rainwater in the dike around a storage tank. TEPCO says someone caused the cracks with a cutter blade while removing the packaging around the hose after it was delivered. Just, you know, normal stuff. And these, now that the uh, water the water infiltrated with radioactive tritium from passing through the Fook plant is being released from the tanks that were holding it into the ocean. Here are some other challenges facing the uh, Japanese government and the plant operator. TEPCO has described the plan to move highly radioactive fuel debris from reactor cores as a, quote, unprecedented and difficult challenge never attempted anywhere in the world. Trial-based retrieval at the number two reactor, the first at the plant to go through such a step, has been delayed twice from an initially scheduled date of 2021, now set for a six-month period starting in October. And if you believe that, for reference at Three Mile Island, it partially melted down in 1979. Fuel debris was kept underwater during retrieval work providing a shield against radiation. Japan and TEPCO plan to remove molten fuel while it is exposed to air because it's difficult to fill the badly damaged reactor cores with water. But that will make it hard to protect workers and retrieval gear from strong radiation. The 2011 accident spewed radiation into the air, which eventually, according to Reuters, contaminated the soil. Part of that tainted soil is stored at an interim site more than four times as big as New York Central Park. The law requires the soil stored at that interim site to be moved out of Fook within 30 years from when it began operating in 2015. And now, with a quarter of that interval already passed, no clear sign that the government is nearer to securing permanent storage. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
The uh, Environment Ministry says the earliest the source, sorry, the search for specific locations will start is 2025. And in 2016, the government doubled to $148 billion, the estimate of the cost of responding to the Fouke disaster, including compensation, decommissioning, and decontamination efforts. $83 billion had been spent, spent on such activities by last March. That represents an expenditure of more than half of the government's estimate, even before really tough tasks, such as fuel debris removal, have begun, raising concerns about, oh no, cost overruns. Our friendly Adam, ladies and gentlemen. And among the better-known people to pass from the scene this week, someone you might need to be perhaps reminded of. A mini-celebrity from 2008 from the election between John McCain and Barack Obama. A gentleman whose first name was Samuel and whose chosen field of work was not plumbing but who became known during that campaign season as Joe the Plumber. Hello, welcome to the show. If you need to know how much tax you owe, go ask Joe the Plumber. If you're wondering how to make your income grow, go ask Joe the Plumber. If you got questions about the size of the debt, or how come only banks got the safety net, if your query hasn't been answered yet, you gotta ask Joe the Plumber. Joe, 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 he's the one in the know, taking all of your gripes, but don't let it work on your pipes. Joe, the plumber, looms about as large as a Hummer, wish I'd known him back last summer, Joe the plumber. Stewing over how the climate's doing. Go ask Joe the plumber. If you'd like to stop all those lawyers suing, go ask Joe the plumber. If your TV isn't getting HD and you wanna see pay movies for free, don't ask Time Warner or NBC. Just ask Joe the plumber. Joe. He's the star of the show Feel free to tap into his brains But don't let him work on your drains Joe, the plumber If he's in a bed, he's the 
the drummer Makes Obama's day And Obama Joe the plumber The sky is blue Or whatever happened to To black crew He's the average joke But with common sense Call him on the phone Or lean over his fence Can you write him off As a business expense Just ask Joe the plumber Joe He's the guy in the very last row He'll always make you think Just don't let him do your sink Joe, the plumber Looms about as large as a hammer Wish I'd known him back last summer Joe, the plumber the plumber Just ask Joe the plumber Joe the plumber From Santa Monica, home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer with this edition of the show. A little uh, news of the warm. Coastal wetlands and coral reef islands will struggle to grow fast enough to keep pace with rising sea levels driven by climate change. That's according to a new study published by Nature, the magazine, not the mother. The study was conducted by an international team that includes a Tulane University researcher. The findings show that future, the future of marshes and other low-lying coastal areas depend heavily on whether global warming can be limited to less than 2 degrees Celsius, 3.6 Fahrenheit. A key finding in the paper is that coastal marshes, mangroves, and reef islands are unlikely to keep pace with rates of sea level rise that exceed 7 millimeters. That's about um, a quarter of an inch per year. That rate is likely to occur by the year 2100 in most parts of the world in the absence of major efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And from our smart, smart, smart world, A genre of AI-generated books on Amazon is scaring foragers and mycologists. Cookbooks and identification guides for mushrooms aimed at beginners. Amazon has an AI-generated books problem documented by journalists for months. Many of these books are obviously gibberish, designed to make money, but experts say that AI-generated Foraging books specifically could actually kill people if they end up eating the wrong mushroom because a guidebook written by an AI prompt said it was safe. And now, the apologies of the week. Leader of the Washington chapter of the far-right extremist group The Proud Boys was sentenced to 18 years in prison this week for his role in the Capitol riot. Prosecutors described Ethan Nordeen as the group's undisputed leader on the ground. The 33-year-old sentence ties the previous longest prison term for a January 6th defendant. 
Nordin helped lead the initial charge against a police barricade at the ironically named Peace Circle. Speaking in court, Nordin expressed regret for his actions. He apologized for any pain he caused and for not doing more to de-escalate the violence committed by Proud Boy recruits who followed him to the capital. Quote, I had to face the sobering truth that I didn't come to January 6th as an individual. I came as a leader to indicate people safe. I failed miserably at both. Unquote. The University of Central Florida Sports Department this week issued an apology to Kent State over a controversial social media post a day after two schools went head-to-head in football. Kent State lost big. UCF Athletics said in a statement that its vice president and director of athletics apologized to Kent State for the school's unfortunate post made following the night's crashing win over Kent State, the Golden Flashes. It said, someone call the National Guard. You may recall, if you're old enough, on May 2, 1970, the National Guard was called to Kent, Ohio, to disperse anti-war protests being led in large part by Kent State students. Four of them ended up being killed. And a um, local television outlet in San Diego has been investigating why that city's water department has failed to send out more than a million water bills to customers, refused to notify those customers that their bill was withheld for some as long as 24 months, and neglected to tell customers that they could be losing thousands of gallons of water in undetected leaks. This week, San Diego's public utilities director sat down with the local TV outlet and formally apologized for his department's botched operations and promised to improve. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting in the studio of a friend and one of the great musicians of New Orleans, and uh, uh, he visited this program maybe a decade ago. I think so. Yeah, David Torkinowski. Uh, but then you were uh, you had the cover of a of a drummer. Uh, today, people are going to get the uh, privilege of hearing you play. Uh, I won't say naked because there are federal laws, but uh, unaccompanied solo, uh, and it is a treat indeed. David Torkinowski, welcome. Thank you, Harry. Well, I'm welcoming you to your own studio. But there. yes, but thank you for letting me on Le Show again after a decade. How, how did you pronounce it? Le Show. Thank you. Uh, David, uh, you are, you have, uh, and everybody in town knows this about you, and now you're going to wonder what the next part of this sentence is, but you have this amazing uh, musical uh, heritage. Your dad uh, was the conductor of the symphony here. That's right. And your mom is a a flamenco performer, flamenco artist, yes? Yeah, she is one of the uh, foremost flamenco impresarios. Uh, I took her to Spain 10 years ago for... 15 years ago for Christmas, and they'd stop performances to acknowledge her presence. Mm. She danced with the great Carmen Amaya, a gypsy who pretty much was the John Coltrane of the art form. So, The John Coltrane of flamenco. Yeah, p- probably a stretch there. <laughs> but with this as a background, you grew up in this town. Uh, uh, did you always think you were destined to have a musical life? 
I think so, yeah. I mean, music was around the house the whole time. I, my father had uh, Itzhak Perlman and, 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 and Eugenia Stoneman around the house. My mother had flamenco gypsies and mm. they all jammed together. And it was like uh, I grew up not knowing any musical boundaries. But that's a very different uh, musical background than a lot of people in New Orleans had. Did you feel as you started to meet other musical folks uh, that you were from a foreign place? Not really. Not really because, um, you know, my mother insisted that I be brought to Ellis Marcellus and Preservation Hall mm. and Sweet Emma and Dave Paquette. And she really immersed me in that world. And then that world adopted me. So I was really lucky to catch the tail end of a great era. Did you see Professor Longhair? I mean, you must have, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, when he died, um, I, I played his chair for the memorial concert, which I personally thought should have remained empty, but you mm. know, I wasn't going to say no. When you say played his chair for people listening, you you played his you played piano. You didn't I did actually I, with his band, with his touring yeah. band. There isn't a musical chair. I just want no. to make it. Thank you. Uh, there's a game. Of musical chairs, but you didn't. Thank you. Uh, and uh, and you saw Booker? Oh, yeah, sure. James Carroll Booker? Yeah, many yeah. times. Yeah. Many times. Um, I remember um, being in the studio when he was recording Classified, and, uh, you know, he was feeling really sick, really, you know, going through withdrawals, whatever, and he was like, you know, throwing up and just, mm. just didn't want to be there, and Scott Billington, the great producer from Rounder Records, you know, was exhorting him, come on, Booker, you know, just, just, you know, just try one time. These studio musicians, the clock was ticking, you know, nothing was going on. Finally, they started, I think it was the, the title track of the tune, Classified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Booker was, you know, started playing, and then all of a sudden he seemed to really be getting into it. His head was down between his hands, and, you know, the producer was going, all right, all right, it's great, he's finally getting into it. What had happened, though, in, during the intro, Booker's teeth fell out onto the piano keyboard, and he was trying to pick them up without stopping playing. <laughs> if you listen to the track real closely, you can hear a little tick and where his teeth are hitting the key. <laughs> was that an ultrasonic? It was. Wow. Yeah. The long gone ultrasonic. Right. It's, yeah. So four or five storms ago took that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. So you you got to see the legends that uh, uh, of that era. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, Toots Washington. Mm. Uh, uh, wow. I mean, I saw Fats a few times, of course. You know, this this town has. An incredible legacy of pianists. Yeah. From Louis Moro Gacho to um, your boy, John Cleary. <laughs> uh, and so many more. Um, before we go any further, uh, play something for us. Again. All right, cool. This tune is called Less Than Three. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a happy tune. I like it. Because um, you're such a happy guy. I am. I am. I'm you're especially happy when I kick your ass on the basketball oh, court. Oh, you're editing this. <laughs> Well, then you're not happy very often. Paul Harvey, good day. <laughs>
What was that? A, a minor fourth, thirteenth chord you ended up on? Uh, four minor, subdominant minor. There but you you're a bass player. You don't need to know harmony. I, would, I don't know. I don't need to know. I don't need to know anything. <laughs> I just need to know where the one is. Uh, then, yeah, yeah. That so that tune was called Less Than Three, mm-hmm. which uh, for those who text a lot is kind of a sideways heart. Less oh, than three, you see. Look at you. You see. Yeah. Well, yeah. you are the sideways heart. Kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> that that should be that should be your T-shirt if it isn't already. As of now, um, the music scene, to my eye and ear, seems to have bounced back remarkably from uh, the disaster. Uh, how does it feel like to somebody who's working in it? I must tell you that um, the, my first. Uh, I'm a DJ on WWOZ. 90.7 FM New Orleans or WWOZ.org around the world. And um, one of my first shows back, I was astounded to read the live music listing. There was hmm. 50 or 60 live band events. I mean, there wasn't enough people in New Orleans, yeah. but yet the music is what came back first. Now, there's something that never recovered from Katrina, which is the diaspora of, of of the musical families that happened i mean people got split up sent to different parts of the country and some of those never came back i mean they went to nebraska and got a good job and went to good schools and mm. well this doesn't suck i think i'll stay the point is it, the katrina was was a, a watershed event in our city's culture you um, think it's, it, it, it interrupted those lines? Those... It'll never be the same. It'll mm. be not, not going to be better or worse. It'll just never be the same. It was a, a continuum that lasted for you know, a couple hundred years, yeah. or let's say 100 years or 150 years. It was a continuum that was profoundly interrupted. Mm. Uh, do you know any of those folks who, who got scattered? And, oh, and, certainly. Yeah. Oh, certainly. What percentage of them do you think would like to come back and what percentage you think are very happy where they are i uh, couldn't put a percentage on it but i know of 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 a few people that will never come back of their own because of how they feel about because it. because of 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 how they feel their yeah. their house was completely destroyed they they had either they had no insurance or their insurance screwed them mm-hmm. or whatever all manner you know all manner of bad things here or good things there conspired to keep them where they are. They may not, may, may, they may not have the means to, yeah. because it, it did take a certain amount of resources to reestablish this city. I yeah. mean, this city is a unique state of mind that everybody had to want it, and yeah. those who didn't want it didn't come back. You know, it it, uh, uh, it struck me very strange. Uh, a couple of years ago, I asked uh, Allison Plyer, who is uh, at uh, the outfit here that kind of specializes in gathering statistics on New Orleans and reporting them in conjunction with the Brookings Institution on how the city is doing. I said, has any... Oh, you mean, I'm sorry, did you mean the Brookings Institute? No, it's Brookings Institution. Is it really? Yeah, I think it is. Brookings. Let's just call it Brookings. It's the place Nixon wanted to firebomb. Right. Um, Whether anybody had done a job of following those people and finding out how they were doing in any in any large scale statistical way, how they were more than a hundred thousand evacuees, non returnees. No. How no, they were doing no. How many wanted to come back, how many were okay? No. Nobody has ever done that. No private or public. First of all, I mean there is some thinking that there was a specific agenda uh to essentially 
a race, a predominantly black city, then nobody cares about the culture. This is America. Nobody cares about the culture. Uh, you know, why do you I, hate freedom? I'm, I'm, I hate America. Clearly, I'm, I mean, I wrote a letter to Dennis uh, Hastert, the Speaker of the House at mm -hmm. the time after Katrina. I'm surprised the Secret Service didn't knock on my door. That's how venom filled it was. Mm. After he suggested, oh, if people want to hear jazz, they can go to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, people don't care. People mm. don't care. And, uh, you know, some people maintain that there was a specific, uh, you know, I'll say culturally ethnic cleansing, culture, eth culture cleansing, ethnic cleansing agenda mm. uh, regarding this city. This was a welfare city. Everybody was lazy, whatever. And uh, nobody wanted to rebuild it. And when I when I went to the um, Super Bowl, I sat next to an Indianapolis Colts fan. And when they started showing the pregame film of the Superdome, he goes, oh, my God, not this again. I'm so tired of – and I leaned over to him and I said, it's better to watch it than having lived through it. <laughs> and then, you know, it, the words, words were getting heated. And yeah. I said, listen, let me just say, we paid a lot of money to be here. Let's not – you know, let's just watch the game. Mm. And, you know, so – can't take you anywhere. Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask about, though, in, in terms of the music uh, life here is uh, in terms of uh, number of venues, it seems to have kind of stabilized. I mean, we've lost a couple of amazing places that I loved, Donna's and Funky Bot, but new ones have sprung up. There seems to be a sort of a consistent level of places. How is it? In a city where rents have risen, uh, cost of living is considerably higher than it was pre-flood. How is it economically to be a musician in this city right now? Have, have, I'm going to uh, tread the line of absurdity and say, have, has the uh, money being paid to musicians gone up accordingly? No. Absolutely not. Matter of fact, if anything, it's it's gone a little down. I mean, you have you have clubs that make it their business to compensate musicians such as snug harbor and then you have clubs that make it their business to have musicians just play for the door mm. like chicky wawa so the point is both venues are valid mm -hmm. but as far as the economic impact to musicians we need more of the former and less of the latter um and i mean clubs like chicky wawa wouldn't be open if they weren't people there that See. people that were available to play yeah. i mean that, that were will sorry that were willing to play there yeah. um no 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 to be a musician in this town you have to diversify you have to be willing to work a lot but to a musician living somewhere else that sounds like heaven because <laughs> they can't work a lot gigging four or five nights a week in different kinds of multiple times a night yeah um, in different in different uh groupings with different uh that's it and that's really why i live here because i get all the musicians i play are destined to be in the smith with i play with are destined to be in the smithsonian uh they're all mm. killer musicians from shannon powell to evan christopher nicholas payton these i mean there are the best musicians in the world yeah. um and i get to play i get to go from playing on a bandstand with zigaboo model east to Playing like tonight, I'm playing with Dee Dee Bridgewater. I, I have, I can really expand my musical palette here. Uh, Zigaboo, for uh, listeners, is the original drummer of the Meters, and he is the absolute. He's the Elvin Jones of New Orleans funk. Play. He's amazing, <laughs> amazing.
Now, there's a John Coltrane reference and an Elvin Jones reference. Are That's you right. dating yourself or are you just uh, just having a good time? Well, like Nicholas Payton says, jazz died in 1959. <laughs> Nothing was cool after that. <laughs> uh, play something else for us. All right. Um, for, for, the, for the tip jar, the radio tip jar. <laughs> All right.
Wow, what was that? Unlike your radio show, you have to back announce the music on this show. Okay. Uh, that was Nardis. Um, well, that yeah. is Nardis. By, by Miles? Yeah, some people say Wayne Shorter wrote it, but... Uh. Yeah. Miles, um, Miles is credited with writing it. You you uh, walk among several worlds in the city. It's, it's, uh, it's an easy city, I guess, in some ways to cross lines uh, that aren't so easy to cross in, in other cities, but... Um, you have you have been a, a denizen at some times of uh, some of the chambers in City Hall, uh, yes? I don't know what denizen means. Uh, you've in occupied them? You've inhabited them? But, I mean, I've never not held run office. For, no, but you, you've had meetings. You know how to... Um, yeah, I'm, All right, involved, I'm, not, I'm, I'm involved in some of the politics. Of, okay, of this, this is not a sure. trial. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Depends on what the meaning of the word is. is. Uh, that's right. So, um, one, one hears all the time from people in the particular, in, in what we call the cultural community, but particularly the music community of New Orleans. This city doesn't, uh, promote, uh, enhance in any way, seem to, um, uh, acknowledge the, and I'm, I'm talking about the official city, uh, the importance of music, uh, to the life of the city and to the economic life of the city. Is that a, is that a true statement? Oh, I think so. I think so. Now, you know, our, our current mayor, Mitch Landrew, he did, uh, I did serve on a, um, cultural economy task force mm -hmm. when he, during his transition. But see what I mean, ladies and gentlemen, a denizen. <laughs> during the, but you know, the realities of, of it are, we're transitioning from being a post Katrina federally supported city to a city that has to, support itself on a ever shrinking tax base. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, personally, I feel that this is a cultural destination. And if you, if you spent, if you dedicated the assets to really showcasing the incredible, uh, incredibly unique culture of this city, not only, well, the musicians, of course, the, of course, the food, everybody knows what they are, mm -hmm. but, Although they don't know the 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 uh, depth of the uh, visual arts community here Ab at all, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, now we have oh, absolutely. This city has everything from Euro avant-garde electronica to to complete trad music. And when I say trad, I don't mean Dixieland. That's what it became when it left here. New Orleans traditional music, it's still alive and well here. But this city embraces so much culture. Mm -hmm. It's got more culture per capita. We are the live music capital of the world. There is no more live music anywhere in the world per capita than in this city. Um, the the galleries, I mean, it's an amazingly unique and diverse city that if the city, if the powers city, that be, yeah, if the powers that be uh, were to sell that, it would be extraordinarily successful. Well, and you know, people just don't regard it as entertainment and don't think that it's a real industry, but it absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, in the in the years before the flood, uh, the city sort of uh, relaxed and let uh, its uh, promotion be taken care of by the Budweiser people, <laughs> and absolutely they got what they deserved, which is tourists who come here to get drunk and and uh, play uh, Saints. Right, and they'll throw they'll throw change at a tap dancer. <laughs> yeah, which uh, is what which is how they regard all performing musicians. Yeah. And it's um it's so much deeper than that. And this is the home of Wynton Marcellus. This is the home of Nicholas Payton. This is the home of Trombone Shorty. Musicians that 
can redefine any bandstand they're at they're on with any on any with any musical style that mm-hmm. they happen to be playing yeah. depth beyond words because what's different about here the ancestry is still in the air is still in the wood i mean there are musicians here that are still channeling the ancestry that's the difference between music played here Vodakovich has a theory this is drummer johnny Vodakovich, right um, that, uh, you know, just generally in the world, as you get closer to the equator, music is more of the body. As you get toward the northern latitudes, it becomes more cerebral. Hmm. And we are the beachhead of African culture in America. And this, the music that we call American music was born of the confluence of, of African and European influence that, that happened here. And this is a very, very heavy place. To, that's why at considerable cost to my own career i still live here <laughs> you but uh, you did enhance your career uh, a few years ago you did uh, uh listeners who may have seen the film the big uneasy you did the score for that movie uh, as a enormous favor to me um do you i only i did it as a favor because i've personally witnessed the wrath of people that you that you that work for you across me yes <laughs> <laughs> i prefer to remain your friend <laughs> Uh, but you, you've done more of that, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, I, I, that's what I do. I mean, when I'm talking about we have to diversify, mm-hmm. um, I don't do anything but music, but I also, I'm a film composer. I'm, I compose for episodic television. I did the music for the, the Big Easy. Uh, which so you've was, done both the Big Easy and the Big Uneasy. <laughs> yes. Um, I just finished a film, a really interesting film, that uh, documentary that uh, looks into the charter school issue. Because yeah. we were the Petri dish for the yeah. charter school movement. Yeah. Uh, called The Experiment, which is a inter- very interesting film. Does it take sides? Uh, it does. It does. It's a little pro-charter, a little really? anti. It's a little anti-traditional schools, but um, a very interesting look at it from the Department of Education down to the the principal of Gregory, whose hands are tied. He can't hire or fire teacher teachers because you know he, his hands are tied by the teachers' union. Mm. So it's you know how relevant is the teachers union? That's what it looks into. It's it's such a strange story because uh, when I was a kid, I taught school for a couple of years, and uh, in those days, this is uh, when dinosaurs ruled the public schools. Uh, the teachers unions were just coming in, and uh, it seemed to be uh, a nece- that seemed to be the necessary reform of the day, mm. uh, because principals had unbridled authority and used it to sort of reward and punish favorites that without regard to whether they necessarily were effective in the classroom or not. So now here we are at the other end of that process a few years on, and uh, it seems to be, you know, uh, the same problem in the different guys. Um, and yet, you know, um, there are those who uh, fear, and I'm not among them, but I, I, I acknowledge that this fear is around, that... Uh, there's a, a move now to privatize public schools overall. You know? Well, they consider charter schools to be essentially private schools using public buildings, using public money, yeah. disenfranchising parental input. The other side of that argument is what parental input? <laughs> So, I mean, gone are the days where you and I grew up in. There was actually PTAs and parents sat down and helped you with homework. I mean, that's the exception, not the rule these days. Parents helped you with homework? You know. So you, you did music for that? I did. And it was called The Experiment. And it's, um, it's essentially a 90-minute news package, but it's a, it's a very interesting documentary. Coming out when? Uh, it's out. It's oh. on Stars Network right now. Uh-huh. And um, 
they're talking to me about uh, um, getting out of their house. <laughs> they're asking me uh, uh, to look at a pilot oh, cool. uh, for a ser- another series, uh, sort of like the Big Easy. So um, it's important to diversify in music. Um, I, I produce events. I play piano for uh, various and sundry people. Uh, and, um, you know, music I like to play. So I like to treat... So far, I've been successful at keeping it just music. You were in a band for a number of years, which has uh, some uh, uh, fame in, among jazz aficionados, Astral Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you compare life being a, a freelancer as you are now with having been in an aggregation for a number of years? Oh, well, uh, we were all, we're still, we were freelancers when, yeah, right. when we had that band, of, of course. course. Um, how do I compare it? I mean, it's just the same, exactly the same. I just don't have to comp untold number of choruses for somebody. No, sorry. Uh, it, that's an interesting question. Um, I miss playing with those guys. I, I just played a trio gig with the rhythm section, and mm. it's amazing. It was magical. It was like the the communication, the intimacy of communication. It never left. I mean, we're we're playing a tempo, and it's like all of a sudden I stop, and everybody stops mm. without cue. It's like I'll change tempo. Everybody's there. It's it was scary, scary mm. how intimate that was, and so I think we're going to do it some more. Oh, great! Well, you you are uh, uh, one of the first things I I noticed when I'd seen you perform live is, uh, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this to you, you have maybe because your father was a conductor, you look like a born leader in a in a group in a perform in a performing situation. You you know. Some of that, yeah. Um, some of that is inherent in the instrument. Mm. Pianist is essentially the MD of... of, of music director. Uh, yeah, sorry. Is the music director of, of a group. Of group. Somewhat. It depends. It depends. A lot of aggregations in this city are unrehearsed. Yeah. So, you know, incredible musicians come together and it sounds seamless, but someone has to direct traffic if it's if only to count it off and and, and cue, no, a, yeah, cue I, a solo and i mean it's extremely subtle and i and you have to like you know you're 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 not standing there waving your arms like a conductor but you're you're making uh yeah i see signals that you send you know for various various changes that you you think it's time for in a otherwise it'll it'll be kind of monochromatic yeah. if, if 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 orchestration is not willed upon it or if it doesn't happen organically it's better to to change the timbre on purpose than to not have a change at all mm. it's um and i used to do that for many years behind diane reeves and and she did she know about it <laughs> yeah she didn't really know about it till she saw the first video she said what are you doing <laughs> but uh yeah so that was uh-huh. that, that's kind of what, what it's inherent in the instrument, and I guess inherent in my approach to ensemble playing. Mm. Somebody got to shape it. I think so. Yeah. I think so. You know, it's a challenge to 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 turn that off because there's groups where other people have the vision. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to give sixty percent and take forty percent of the space and the energy. So, mm. uh, play one more thing for us. I will. I will.
David Torganowski. I, I should... Uh, what was that? That was a composition or was that improvised? No, 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 no. No, that was... Um it was a tune I'm sending out to Judith called Sorry I Asked. <laughs> uh, we're talking about David Torkinowski in New Orleans. And what else you got going on? There's a release of a, of a band that um, that I've been working with. It's it's my band called Fleur Debris. I get it. Yeah. And um, the, the members on the record are George Porter Jr. from wow. the Meters. On, uh, killer drummer Simon Lott. Sure. Um, one of my... Compadres from the Astral Project, Tony DeGrotti. Yeah, on, um, on tenor saxophone. And myself. And uh, the record actually was recorded here in the studio during a party. And I, we were the band for the party. But the music was so killing that I've been editing on this ever since. I mean, you hear conversation in the background, glasses clinking, you know, like a Bill Evans record. <laughs> and um, it, it's really a lot of fun. Currently, the band um, is... Uh, Aaron Fletcher on alto saxophone, George Porter on bass, Zigaboo Modalist mm. on drums, and myself. We played Jazz Fest a couple of years ago. Yeah, I remember and, that. And um, up on the up on my website, just when the record's released, will be video from that performance. Free download. Torkanowski dot com. T o r k a n o w s k y dot c o m. Free, free download. Yes. Got to give it away, babe. T-shirts, mugs, tote bags. Uh, um, just uh, available at the live gigs. Wow. Yeah. All right. I'm it's all about there. merch, baby. Yeah. You're a machine. Just uh, to uh, make sure all the information is out there, David has uh, produced at least one track on every one of the records I've done, uh, including the track with uh, Dr. John and the aforementioned Nicholas Payton, Roland Riley on drums. And oh, that was fun. Roland Garron on bass called Autumn in New Orleans, a record which is out now. It is. Yeah. And so, it's, it's, uh, it's being uh, it's being received to the acclaim of hundreds. <laughs> We're hoping for the high hundreds. Um, there's a, that was uh, a lot of fun to, to yeah, do, by the way. It really that was. was. Um, going back one more time to this subject of live music in the city, uh, there's uh, something that purports to be uh, or is alleged to be a war on live music going on here. Um, That's not new. Really? That's not new. Um, this city has a history of, of corner bars and just corner restaurants having live music. This goes back to the... Did you mention the corner? <laughs> ah, exactly. To, to the first days of the corner. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's... Uh, there's people that think, oh, well, you know, the, qu the quiet neighborhoods are more important and, you know, the property values. So there's always been a tug of war between... and. To be quite honest, there's been a lot of irresponsible club owners that let patrons just go out and all, you know, leave the club late at night through residential neighborhoods all loud, urinating on lawns and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I mean, so, yeah, there's been the fault is on both sides and mm -hmm. there's a constant fight in this town, a zoning fight to keep to shut down live music venues and to you know, and to prevent new ones from opening. Mm. Uh it's uh, when I heard that there was, you know, uh, folks trying to uh, shut down some of Frenchman Street. It seemed a little shocking because uh, I was involved in the effort that that resulted in the cultural zoning overlay, which is how they put it, mm. to allow music on Frenchman Street. Now, 
when that when music first started on Frenchman Street, it was very organic, very almost bohemian, mm. really, really wonderful. But here's an example of what I'm talking about. It's become a secondary Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, open doors, loud music out of the open doors in what is essentially a residential, residential neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah. So to shut down, I mean, yeah, what you're seeing is the backlash to that lack of discipline on on on. on on the part of the club owners, on the part of the musicians, and um, yeah, that's to be expected. You got to be a res- you got to be a responsible member of the mosaic, so to speak. Wow, I know it's heavy, isn't it? Look at you. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, we're we're it's weird because we're living in an era uh, where both technology and uh, uh, I'm going to use a word that doesn't really belong here. Aesthetics dictate that music just gets louder and louder. Um, kind of, yeah, kind of. And uh, unfortunately, the history of this town is completely unamplified organic music mm. being played uh, where the sound bounces off wood that's as old as this country. <laughs> so, which is, you know, part of the magic of Preservation Hall. That's that's what happens. There's no amplification. The wood is old. The music is new, mm. even though, and it's organic. The problem is you also have a... a you know, uh, a, a rock scene in this town. I mean, it's like I was alluding to earlier. There's so many different types of music in this town. There's rock, there's funk music, there's electronica. There's even a little bluegrass in this town. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, especially on Bourbon Street, you know, music is amplified to get patrons in. And, you know, now Frenchman Street is starting to follow suit, and it's it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. Strange thing, though, is that uh, uh, the the uh, just any given night, a uh, a uh, recent vintage automobile with its windows open and uh, its sound system cranked is probably louder than most clubs in town. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, so. What I what I wouldn't give for that low end in my studio. <laughs> but um, no, no, it's that's true. I mean, noise pollution happens wherever. Yeah. The problem is. You can pull that car over, give it a ticket. Oh, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that happens on the planet Zelle. <laughs> but you can't, you can't, you know, if, if you're going to pull a club over to give yeah, it a ticket, yeah. that means shutting it down. Yeah. That means a place that musicians were trying to make a living can no longer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's um, it requires communication. It, what? Yeah, communication. Yeah. And and you know, this town is perfectly capable of it. It's it's um, the city is quite amazing it's um it's got divisions in it that were formed during reconstruction that still occur today it's not black or white it's shade mm. it's um it's not rich or poor because rich and poor live together in this yeah. city it's not like a good good area and a bad area you go two blocks over and the demographic changes yeah the city is a is a is an incredible fabric with an incredible patina Wow. All right. With with those words ringing in our ears, play us out with something um, kind of up-tempo, if you'd be so kind, so I can yak over it. Okay. You know, the tip jar is right there. You got it. Hold on. I didn't bring my wallet. Uh, okay.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same radio station, or whenever you want it on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like Derek Smalls releasing a new single, Must Crush Barbie, if you'd agree to join with me then. And, by the way, he has. It's out now. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.